Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Mark Rose Podcast. Recently, I had the absolute honor of being on a webinar discussing patterns and how do we change our patterns uh, with the wonderful, amazing, brilliant, one of the top psychologists in the game, Vienna Farron from Mindful MFT on Instagram, Mindful Marriage and Family Therapy. And we were talking about that, you know, if like so many of our relationships are really just patterns. The way we communicate is a pattern, right? The cycles of if we have the same fights over and over again, all these types of things, the choices we make, why do I keep attracting the same types of people? Why do I find myself in the same feelings, right? They're all patterns and they all begin generally with a core event, usually in our childhood, and also patterns of how our family systems operate and who we are in our family system. And then how do we take that role? We often take that role, and then we enter that role in romantic relationships. And so there's very much something about oscillating in the familiar. Vienna is a absolute rock star master at helping people discover what created their relational patterns and how do you change them, right? Because that's, of course, much more important is like identify the pattern, change it. And she has an incredible course called Origins of You. She is just a brilliant teacher, one of my best friends. She's incredible. And so I wanted to share this webinar discussion because we answered questions and they were just, it was just a great discussion. We both got to go off and jam and share what our thoughts were on each position. And I know you love the Q&As and exploring actual people's circumstances because I think, as I've said before, we learn so much through other people's stories, through their experiences, through what they've been through because we get to at least identify parts of our own story in those things and then when we listen to how they resolve them, we get some idea of how to resolve and change our own lives. I'm so excited for you to dive into today's episode. And before we get rolling, make sure that wherever you listen to the podcast, one way you can support it is to give it a review. Uh, a five-star review and a written review is amazing. If you're on Apple iTunes, that's the place where you can leave the written review. 
And also, as you're listening to this podcast episode, you'll likely be very drawn to Vienna's work because it's incredible and her course is incredible. And if you want to check that out, you can go to originsofyou.com. So O-R-I-G-I-N-S-O-F-Y-O-U.com and use the code Create the love to save 50 bucks on her course. You are going to love it. But before you even do that, check out this episode. Enjoy. Much love. Question number one. Okay, kick us off. How do I stop comparing my current boyfriend to my ex? I'm currently having a hard time getting through past relationship trauma and I'm always quick to assume my current boyfriend is cheating on me. How do I let go of that fear? Mm. So, yeah, I love the awareness that this person has, even just knowing that, yep, there's an activation here. And I have this assumption that I know is not helpful for the relationship. So yeah, beautiful awareness there. But I, yeah, I want to know about the other stories that you hold around love and relationships. So what I mean by that is, um, yeah, and the origin stories gal. So I want to always understand and know what it is that you saw growing up. Um, yeah, what it is that you witnessed, right? And how have you attached any of that to this story around love too? I know it sounds like there was a betrayal from a past relationship. I also want to know if there's a betrayal that you saw growing up. I want to know if there are other betrayals, even if it's not cheating. And I want to know the messages that you received about love and relationships as well. And if that plays into any of the story that you hold here, right? Um, So yeah, I think I'd shift from letting the fear go to just being with it differently. I think a lot of times we get to this place where it's like, I need to stop being afraid. I need to let this thing go. And that feels like such a jump to get to that place, right? It's like that part feels so hard to get there, to arrive at that place. And so I think for us, it's actually making a reasonable bar for ourselves and saying like, I want to relate to it differently. So instead of setting the goal of not being affected by it or never being afraid, I really want to work on strength our discernment in moments when that trigger starts to get activated. So I really like the language of what is instead of what if, right? So like what is true right now, right? So if you start to notice that stories are starting to come into your mind, I think this person is cheating on me or what are they doing? They haven't responded to a text or I can't get a hold of them or whatever it is that might be going on in the particular moment. Yeah, like I really want you to tune into what is what is it that you know right now? Not what if or what you've known before and just bringing attention and awareness to that. Not easy. And then there, again, the expectation is not to be able to like nail this out of the park and be totally fine with it, but to just create a little bit more space here where you can come into, what do I know about this person, right? What's, what's true about our relationship, right? That starts to strengthen our discernment muscle. And if ideally we have a partner whom we can enlist in this, yeah, in this in this practice and in this space, right? So if we have a partner who's aware that we have this activation, aware of our story, right? Somebody who loves us, who's in here saying like, I get that this is hard for you. And I get that there's some fears or insecurities or doubts that, that circulate around this. Um, 
And so when you feel nervous or when you feel scared or when you're feeling insecure, just let me know. Right. And I like, I'd love to be able to help you in this space. It's not about outsourcing to our partner. Of course, it's not their responsibility, but that's the beautiful thing about relationships, right? Is that like in a loving partnership, we are able to go to that person to say, like this thing, this feeling is here. And this is the story, right? Narrative therapy will say, here's the story I'm telling myself about what's going on on. Right. And so like, can you help me loving partner who loves me and cares about me? Can you help me? Yeah. Try to relate to what's happening a little bit differently. So let me pause there. And, um, you want to add anything? I mean, that's such I, having been through past betrayal and then entered another relationship. I remember after my partner was like open to navigating my past relational trauma, you know, of this mm-hmm. big betrayal, but also she was willing to participate in the healing and, but wasn't willing to carry right. uh, the lack of trust from my past relationship into her. Cause you know, I remember her saying like, I didn't earn this, mm-hmm. but I can help you learn again. What communication do you need? But she was very clear about her boundaries as to what she was okay with mm-hmm. in terms of rebuilding trust that ultimately I had lost. What's interesting too, when I look back at betrayal like that, is that I learned so much about um, that, like by the time I was betrayed outwardly, I'd betrayed myself inwardly so much before. And so when I look at the sort of patterns of re-entering another relationship, I would then start to look at, well, where I'm afraid, I like I'm not trusting my partner, right? That's what it's looking like. But it's also that I don't trust myself in relation to a partner and their behavior. And so, you know, I. I identified as being afraid of commitment or being afraid of being cheated on. But I also, what was really going on is it's not that I didn't trust my partner, so to speak, although that can certainly be true. It's that I didn't trust myself with, with being committed that someone I'm committed to wouldn't hurt me. And so I think about like the, how you said to ask questions about like, what did you experience about betrayal as a kid? What did, um, what were the messages you were taught about love relationships? All such important questions. And um, I wanted to ask too, when you think about like as a kid and what you're learning, how about in um, relationship to like, did your parents weaponize uh, past betrayals or uh, fractures? Um, like any of that, I'm curious your take on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as you were speaking, I want to just Um, come to the part about trusting the self, because I think depending on the betrayal, like if you think that you were foolish in some way, or like, how could I not have seen that? Right. Those are the things that then degrade the self-trust that you're talking about. That's such a good point making, right. Cause it's like one thing, if somebody has been like super sneaky, manipulative, there's like no way that anybody would have caught it or noticed it. And there's other examples where you truly feel like the fool in this, where it's just like, I can't believe I didn't see this, or I look the other way so much and that's on me. And so there, if there's a bit of self-blame in that, which is so easy for there to be, then we are deteriorating the self-trust. And I think you're spot on when it, when you're saying, um, you know, or I think what you're saying is some of this is rebuilding the sense of self-trust, right? Restoring our ability to see, right? And to know what it is that we see is true, which of course still can be very, very hard, but to also- Super hard. Super hard, but to know- Even though the truth is right here and you're like, can I trust myself to see this as being 
black mm-hmm. as yeah. it is, you know? Right. What did you ask me at the end? What, how I think, um, about how, like when you observe as children, your parents maybe go through fractures whatever, yeah. of whatever kind, which I think we're either exposed to or we're not, but then like how we may saw have seen our dad or our mom, um, weaponized past mm-hmm. fractures. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Like, and, and using that as some type of power control, Yes, yes. And like, mo- like moving into a one up one down position. And what do you gain from weaponizing? What do you gain from, from holding on to that? Yeah. And like not letting it go. Like if I was to truly let go of this past betrayal and enter this relationship, um, what am I actually subjecting myself to? Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Um, yeah, it is. That's, yeah, I mean, again, looking at the imprints of what it is that we saw and experienced to see how that plays into. And if you believe this is this is how my partner is going to treat me, this is how I'm going to treat them. Does that give me a leg up? Am I seeking for yeah. certain things? Right. Like there's there's yeah, the power and control piece is um, yeah, it can play out here quite a bit. So yeah, we we would need to tune into the real details of each person who's in this position, what their story is, what their origin story is, what it looked like in their family system, what it, there might have been multiple family systems and multiple adult relationships that you saw growing up. Um, if parents got remarried, if there were step parents involved, you know, that we have a lot of different systems at play. And so uh, we can get confusing or altering messages as well. Um, so, yeah, like okay. it can't be complex enough, you know. <laughs> It's interesting when you think about all the stuff that goes into it. Like we often think, oh, well, then it's just my birth mom and dad and then maybe my brother and sister or whatever. But like if your dad remarried and your mom remarried, then you have like these other family systems that come in and you're like, I'm confused. Of course you're confused. You had five, six family systems. If one parent got married or more than once, you got tons. You got step siblings. You got aunts and uncles. There's so much that informs. So yeah, just coming back to this question, right? Like quick to assume, right? And so like, okay, why don't you be slow to assume, you know, like start there. If the quickness is this, try to make it that, try to make it that, right? We don't need to end at the, like the goal line of perfection, right? Of like, I'm never affected. I never think this way, right? It's like, that's such an illusion, right? That's such a fallacy to believe that you're never go that you will, you should arrive at this place and just be unaffected. So yeah, I want to just like, make it a little bit longer and see that as a victory for you and continue to stretch that out more and more. Okay. Okay. Question? All right. Coming at you. I am an otherwise successful and confident person, but in love, I have picked people that are hot and cold and find me hard to love, hard to love. I stay in relationship and try so hard, even when the pieces don't fit anymore. How can I change this longstanding pattern? I feel like I'm out of chances. I mean, as I just want to acknowledge that feeling, because I know that feeling well, you know, where it's like a if we believe we're hard to love, then it will be completely in alignment to be with someone who can't fully choose us. And, you know, when I thought like ultimately what was, I remember when we were processing our reuniting, uh, Kylie and I, the one thing that I just got so tired of that really was the breaking point is this idea that I just wanted someone to choose me, to like see me. And 
not realizing that in our breakup, that was me finally doing that for myself, like the final straw of like what I was willing to stand for, you know, but there was no way that I could hold Kylie's ambivalence in relationship for whatever reason she had it, which my childhood story would have been, it's because of me. Like I'm hard to choose. I'm too much. I'm too sensitive. Um, people betray me. What's interesting is that uh, it had nothing to do with me, but it had everything. It had every impact on me, right? Like I was participating in a relationship with someone who was ambivalent. So how could I believe that I was worthy of being chosen when by staying in a space of conscious ambivalence, right. I, I was someone that someone could pick fully. Uh, they were picking me, but not fully. And we weren't committed to each other on the same level. And she would agree with this. This isn't not committed might be the wrong word, but like fully in fully surrendered. Um, and so when I hear something like this, the first part is I just like have this recognition that the only way you'll ever feel free of it is when you finally start to soften to yourself. Like this idea of hard to love has an edge to it, you know, it has a hard edge to it. It feels like I'm too much. I'm too emotional. I'm too this. I'm too that. I'm a fuck up. I'm this and that. Um, and actually just getting to know oneself, you know, getting to love oneself. I think the, the term self-love is kind of, you know, a little, it's like we think of bubble baths and chocolate and candles and shit. And all that's great. I'm not dismissing that. I think that's part of the time that we take to spend with ourselves. But I always think of um, Pima Chodron's book, When Things Fall Apart. She has that idea of Maitri, which is like this Buddhist philosophy of, of not just getting to love oneself, but actually becoming best friends with oneself, actually having admiration and reverence and respect for oneself. And what happens then, which is not, I think a, there's a lot of healing that occurs in that journey because you have to accept the fact that you believe you're hard to love. And then all of a sudden you're starting to love these aspects of yourself um, and, and your, your emotionality and your grief and whatever it is that when you believe that about yourself, you actually can't be in relationship with someone who doesn't believe the same thing. What they think about you doesn't align with what you think about you. And so then there's no, they're no longer really a viable relational choice. Mm -hmm. I think of getting back to sort of patterns, right? And origins. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think about like a child who, um, depending on their order in the family, depending on their relationship to their mom and their dad, that they just felt hard to love. Maybe they were the ones who had to take care of everyone else, or maybe their parent was an alcoholic, um, but that there was or maybe they were said they were too much or they were sabotaging to get attention or whatever it is that that story started somewhere, you mm -hmm. know, and it started and it perpetuated till, you know, I really think it is the work of adulting is actually taking responsibility for the beliefs we have about ourselves, the messages we have about ourselves, because the child will chase the van with candy, right? Like that's the challenge. The child wants to love everybody and everything but the child needs an adult to say that's actually not the place to go or that's not safe or that's not. And it wasn't until I sort of like, I would say it was like a full moment of growing up when I finally was like, wait, this isn't good for me. Cause I used to stay way too long all the time, all the time thinking if I just did enough or I read enough or, I, but it was really actually the, the leaving that yeah. was for me, the, the, like in a way, a lot of uh, the reconciliation, the, the re-something, you know. Mm -hmm. Anyways, yeah, curious to hear your thoughts.
Based on the time of year and what's going on in the world, I am all about making sure that my immune system is operating at its best. I want to make sure that it is in tip-top shape so that whatever it might meet, it is able to fight off. And so one of the ways I do that is I use Organifi Immunity. It's 100% organic. It's got 500% of your recommended daily dose of vitamin C, and that vitamin C is sourced from organic cherries. It contains the immune-boosting power of ginger, turmeric, and also zinc. It is gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, vegan, all of those things. And as I said, 100% organic. And it also has a vegan source of D3 from lichen moss. And that provides 1,000 international units of vitamin C, which is 188% of our daily recommended dose. Vitamin D is so important to modulate innate and adaptive immunity. So if you're interested in giving your immune system a boost and a little bit of extra oomph in order to fight off what might come towards you this season, check out Organifi.com slash create the love. You get 20% off anything you order from there. They have such incredible products. I love them as a brand. I love them as a culture. I love them as a company. Go check them out now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think what you said about like the story didn't start with you and how important it is. And I think this hot and cold piece feels important to me, right? Like I imagine that that's the way in which love was, was given to you, or that was your experience of what you called love growing up. Right. And that, and hot and cold could mean a lot of different things. It might, might be associated with performance. So maybe love was hot when you were quote unquote, performing well, when you were doing well, when you were showing up exactly as a parent maybe wanted you to. Um, And cold was a withholding of love when you didn't do or perform or achieve or be in the way that a parent wanted you to, right? That's one example of how hot and cold could be. Another hot and cold could be, you know, a mental health challenge that that a parent might've had, right? Where sometimes they're able to show up and be available and other times they're not, right? And so I would get really curious about that origin story of hot and cold. What does it actually mean? What did it actually look like? And you know, yeah, you could feel that in, in the comment from this person about like, I am hard that find me hard to love. And it makes me feel like this is an assumption, but I wonder a little bit if you yourself are hot and cold with yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think Mark, what you're talking about this, this, um, reclaiming and this reconciliation is this, this ability to stay loving not BS. Okay. Not bypassing, not bullshit. Right. But to stay loving and self-love what you said before, right? Like for me, if you guys are familiar with me at all, you've probably heard this before, but the intersection of compassion, gentleness, grace with the self and accountability, ownership, and responsibility. And when we do that, well, we don't bypass, right? When we do that, well, we don't just let ourselves off the hook, but we also don't need to be so cold with ourselves where we're cruel and unkind and, and pummel ourselves when we've made a mistake or, you know, missed, missed something. Right. And so for me, I wonder, like I said, it's a bit of an assumption, but I wonder if, this person is hot and cold with themselves and how they might be able to stay a bit more balanced in that, right? To like come home to that, to notice when you do something and you become cold with yourself, right? Or where you feel like you maybe need to perform and then all of a sudden you feel warm with yourself, right? Like what would it look like in a really kind of balanced, rooted way to stay consistent? And how do you teach your system to get used to that? 
right? How do you teach your system to receive that? How do you teach your system by treating yourself? And then like you said, how then you expect other people to, you know, be in partnership, be in relationship with you. But, you know, there's a, you know, that last part of the question is like, I feel like I'm out of chances. Ah, right. That part hurts, right? It's like when you feel like you're like kind of fed up with yourself or you feel like other people are fed up with you. And that to me feels cold, you know, like I get and also, right. It's like, that feels like you, you've just like abandoned yourself and possibility. And that's how I feel emotional about it too. Cause it feels like, like you have gotten so cold that hope has left, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like, how do you warm that a bit? Mm-hmm. Right? How do you bring just a bit of gentleness there where you're like, maybe you say something like, I'm, I'm really tired of this pattern and I don't want to keep doing this. This feels draining to me. Right. And I want to really set myself on this path right? To believing in consistency in this, right? Because the hot and cold is an inconsistent, unstable, right? Destabilized experience that I'm sure was born in, you know, a family system or, you know, earlier relationships. I'm curious too, in that, you know, that coming back or warming back up, I see the question, how do you warm back the hope? Um, But I think it's actually just in asking the question or being on this webinar or listening to the recording, or investing in a course to learn about it. It's like you're starting, that's the turning around. Like I often think about in my own experience that a lot of my relational stuff was like me running away from my true feelings, my true essence, my true spirit, my true whatever. And there was this moment where it was like no more. And we all get to this no more place in different ways. And it can be, I feel like I'm out of chances. But ironically, that being the moment that you actually turn around towards yourself and, and do this deep inquiry of like, who am I? Where do I come from? What has shaped me? Do I like some of the things? Do I agree with some of the beliefs or not? And that being that investment in self actually being this moment of like warming up because that lights the candle. Yeah. That's the hope. Because when you turn around towards yourself, what you feel is like, even if you don't even know what that means yet, just stopping is it is like stopping doing the chasing stopping and asking questions is like that's where you you can see your soul there's like hope anyways I'm, yeah okay you've got the next question yes ready i worry that my ex will end up with someone who has it all and therefore is enough to make him want to truly commit how do i stop feeling like if i only had x y and z that he would have chosen me Hmm. you're so dramatic with your question asking you know you got to get right into their experience you I like theater theater I've also, I've also lived all of most of these questions so I'm like, you're like been there done every single one of access these. 19 21 27 yeah. year old like we got it we got it um okay so first thing that i hear and you probably hear this too is an origin wound around being enough okay right? Am I enough, right? Somebody else is going to have it all, which means I don't have enough, right? I'm lacking of something. And you're going to want to commit to that person because you you couldn't commit to me because I was lacking. I wasn't enough. You're going to commit to this person, right? So I'm kind of curious, like, what do you believe you needed to have or be in order to be enough for 
your parents or caregivers, right? So for me, I'm always going to start in a family system. I'm always going to start with our origin story. So when I hear like, here's what's presenting present day, right? I'm struggling with this. Here's what's going on. This is with my ex, et cetera. I am always going to journey us back to understanding how this familiar feeling played out in your family system, right? So that first question is like, I really want to be, I'm really curious about like what enoughness looked like with parents or caregivers, right? Like if I had been or done, then maybe they would have loved me like that, that yeah. type of, yeah. of, of yearning, that type of yearning. Um, right. So yes, exactly. Like that belief of like, who did I need to be right in order to be enough for you, right. In order to be loved by you, in order to be accepted by you, in order to, to get your validation, your attention, right? Uh, your affirmation, right? Because so I want to start there because I think a lot of times, right, that origin wound comes with us into our adult relationships. Um, and that's where we find ourselves sort of like, like really personalizing, you know, something like this, right? We, we know that, I mean, I probably most of us have gone through breakups before, right? And and probably those people with whom we've broken up or they've broken with, up with us have gone on to date somebody else or marry somebody or partner with or whatever afterwards, right? And so it's very easy. I mean, this is such a common experience, right? And so I hear this real personalizing of like, I'm not good enough. And that's so <clears throat> destabilizing for me to sit with, right? Like, it's so hard for me to see this as, oh, this is just another individual and it doesn't tell me a story about me, right? Or their partnership is a more aligned partnership and that doesn't tell a story about me, right? What, what's, what's spoken here is the personalizing, right? It, it tells me a story about my enoughness. It tells me a story about my worth, right? It informs that. And that's the part that's so destructive because the reality of it is, is that it's, it's probably very little to do with you just as a human being. Right. Like it could have nothing to do with you, but the way we tell the story is informing us about an old story and narrative that that needs to be healed. Based on the time of year and what's going on in the world, I am all about making sure that my immune system is operating at its best. I want to make sure that it is in tip top shape so that whatever it might meet, it is able to fight off And so one of the ways I do that is I use Organifi Immunity. It's 100% organic. It's got 500% of your recommended daily dose of vitamin C. And that vitamin C is sourced from organic cherries. It contains the immune-boosting power of ginger, turmeric, and also zinc. It is gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, vegan, all of those things. And as I said, 100% organic. And it also has a vegan source of D3 from lichen moss. And that provides 1,000 international units of vitamin C, which is 188% of our daily recommended dose. Vitamin D is so important to modulate innate and adaptive immunity. So if you're interested in giving your immune system a boost and a little bit of extra oomph in order to fight off what might come towards you this season, check out Organifi.com slash create the love. You get 20% off anything you order from there. They have such incredible products. I love them as a brand. I love them as a culture. I love them as a company. Go check them out now. 
Yeah. I mean, it, and it, it could have something to do with you in the sense that like, we're just not a great fit or, you know, we had too much conflict or there was a misalignment somewhere, or there was an incompatibility somewhere, right? Like it's not to say that like, this is all them and you're, you know, you're not a part of it in any right. way. Right. But that there's a, a real deep personalizing that happens in this space that then tells you this story about yourself. And that's the story that is so deeply harmful and destructive. Right. So how do I stop feeling like if I only had X, Y, and Z, and maybe you're comparing yourself to this other person, maybe they have X, Y, and Z that he would have chosen me, right? You are, well, like we have to stop trying to live into somebody else's life, right? If I just had what this other person had, then they would have chosen me. Maybe. Wait, but, then I love might, that line. but then you might be with Stop the trying room. to live into someone else's life because in doing that, you're trying to shape shift to be chosen rather than being authentic. Yeah. That was, that's a beautiful line, right? Like that's so important. So that effort. Where's the origin of that? Like, is that right. trying generally trying to get mom and dad to love us? Right. 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 It's like where we learn, you know, as Gabor Mate says, right. It's like we, when given the choice, we will trade authenticity for attachment. We have to. Right. And so if that's part of what it looked like in a family system, um, you know, it's easy for that to come through. Right. So stop trying to live into someone else's life. And as somebody's asking for the, the, the line. That's one of those lines that like gives me goosebumps because Mm. there's so much truth to it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much, depth to that of of like trying to chameleon rather than being you and uh, yeah. and and seeing that like if you didn't align with someone they didn't align with you like i think that's one of the greatest sort of consciousness shifts that we can all do relationally is like if someone is not if you're not a hell yes to someone that's actually a prerequisite for them to be a hell yes to you. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, so how you relate to that is like X, Y, Z is not yours. Whatever those, right. not How yours. do I be X, Y, Z as opposed to how do I be me that it is its own X, Y, Z or W, S, A, B, Z, whatever. Um, yeah. So that part feels so important starting to like shave off those layers. Um Okay. You want to add that. Or is that, does that feel? You know, I think about, I get asked this a lot, obviously mm-hmm. as well, like they moved on and why were they not ready for me? Mm-hmm. One thing I often say is like, what we fail to see, as you said, there's an origin story in there that's being identified. Mm-hmm. And we're making this story about us that when it might have nothing to do with us, it might have something to do with us, something we need to take responsibility for our behaviors and why someone did leave because maybe we have an addiction, maybe we're, totally. maybe we're challenging and conflict and accepting that and then diving into that. But being able to be an adult and differentiate like what's mine's, what's theirs. The mm-hmm. child can't do that because the child, when left with a default, I remember Gabor Monte saying, we have two choices as children when our parents fail us. One is to believe that um, our parents are flawed, or the second is to believe that we are and we choose the latter always. And there's so much compassion in that of like, because there's no adult to say, your dad is actually an alcoholic who can't show up. Your mom is a narcissistic piece of shit. And sorry, I know that doesn't sound compassionate, but it's like, because we get where it comes from and all that but like if we're just calling out the truth it's like no one was actually protecting us and so as adults we need to be able to draw those lines and i think about when someone says 
Like they didn't choose me. Why did they go to this person? Why were they enough? And I'm like, what you're not seeing is like, you think they're ready, but that person actually might be in lower alignment for them. And here you are like wanting truth, honesty, showing up of responsibility. And they're like, fuck, I can't, I can't get there. Let me go over here where people still are in a pattern of dis betrayal, dishonesty, whatever it is. And we're over here going like, why not me? Mm -hmm. As opposed to like, that's actually the whole point is you stay as Vienna saying, stay resonating as ABCD and find another ABCD. But when we were, when we were socialized or had a childhood where we were taught to lower our needs or expectations, become something that we need to become in order to be loved, we actually think we need to shift back to WXY as opposed to being like, be here and it shows up. And I always noticed, I'll just finish on this, is I always noticed that when I stood in this, there was a moment where I was lonely, where I wasn't getting any matches or the matches I was getting were like the perfect, almost covered in coconut oil, just like inviting me to step out of my integrity. And, but when I finally made it past those tests, then it started to show up. Mm -hmm. Then it was, and all of a sudden it was like, um, like the angry therapist, uh, John Kim says, it was like, I felt like I swam past the breakers. He uses that mm -hmm. analogy. It's like you get past the break and then all of a sudden there's calm again. Um, anyways, yeah. We got worked up that I got so worked that up that I said, ABZ, did you hear me? I swear <laughs> I know that C comes after me. <laughs> all right, next question. I have a pattern of not allowing myself to continue friendships with male friends when I'm not single out of fear of what my partner might think my projection, my projection, right? In the process, I've lost many good friends and end up keeping my life small. Any advice on how to navigate opposite sex friendships while still honoring my relationship? I feel there's a, there's a tension between the love I have from my partner and the love and closeness I want to have with my friends. Like the one is a betrayal of the other. Mm. What do you think? I mean, that, I think there's so many complexities to navigating whatever gender you're attracted to and then being in relationship. And then, you know, if you're attracted to both and you got more of that complexity with your partner. And I think it's really about, um, because I think when someone says I'm uncomfortable with you having female male friends, there's an element of previous trust that's been broken. Maybe they've hooked up with their own friends. So there is a projection that's going on. Mm -hmm. um, they don't know how to hold friendship without sex, without sex or intimacy. Um, and, I think the primary thing, like, you know, Kaya and I have to navigate this. I have lots of female friends. You're one of my best friends and you're a female. And it's like the, the, the first thing is that the relationship between Kylie and I, or for anyone listening, you and your partner is sacred. That's actually the number one priority. And I would never choose a friendship over my relationship with Kylie. But there's obviously a deeper form of inquiry that's necessary here, which is I remember hearing, a, I was at a Lululemon retreat and one of the guys said, like one of the red flags is if your partner is not excited, sorry, if this friend of yours, like if someone in a relationship is being friends with you, if they are not excited to you to meet their partner or their partner to meet you or you to be part of that experience together, not together as a threesome, but you know what I mean? <laughs> we got um, that, that's a red flag. And I 100% agree with that, that that like, I'm, 
always it was important that Kylie have a friendship with these these women, just much like men. So, but that the men that Kylie is in relationship with as friends are also excited to meet me. That they're not they're reaching out to me. That they're creating safety. Like when I have female friends who are in relationship, it was really important to me that their partners know that I'm in relationship with them too. And so there's not these silos being created. Um, but the energetic, I think, that's most important is that my partner and I is the most sacred. And what do we do to protect the sacredness of that and not leak sexual energy and be acknowledging when we do? So I think, like, how do you hold it? I think about this from an origins perspective. I would imagine that you maybe observed mom or dad, one being allowed to have opposite sex, parents or same sex, depending on the combination of things um, and where that came from and even your childhood. So yeah, I'm curious what you think. Like, because I think a lot of women get told, like, all men just want sex. Like, all men just. And I know there is a really interesting study that was done in college kids where they asked uh, mm -hmm. kids, kids. Now I call them kids. That's the young adults. Yeah, and I remember they asked women if given the chance, would you hook up with your male friends? Yeah. And the women were like, no. Oh. And they were like, ask the dudes. If you could, would you bang your female friends? Almost all of them are like, yeah. <laughs> and I think that shows you how much we're socialized. Because a lot of us would say, well, men are just more prone to wanting to just have casual sex. But in the research, women actually get bored of monogamy faster. So like, there's so many, what's socialization and what's true? None of it really matters. The point is, is that we've been taught messages. So like, if women aren't allowed to have male friends because all men want to bang them, if given a chance, it's like, how do we be more discerning? How do men not hold the energetic where they're actually waiting in the wings to try to bang their friend? You know what I mean? So anyways, you'll probably say everything more eloquently. I think that that's relevant. I believe that the person asking this question is a woman. Um, yeah. And so, right, like, might there be some storyline around that? Like you said, you know, was there anything demonstrated in a family system where there were rules or expectations that were played out in that way? But there's a lot of sacrifice, right, that's happening here. I'm giving up all of these friendships um, for, for this fear that my partner might think something, Right. That they're going to. And and maybe if we took that strand a little bit further, they might think something. And if they think something, maybe my relationship is going to be at risk. Right. Maybe they'll want to leave me. Maybe they won't know how to stay with me. And so I would rather lose my relationship with my friends. And in some in, in some sense, right, like lose a bit of a relationship to self in all of that in order to try to keep you. So I'm just curious, like, you know, even in that, are we demonstrating something or proving something in, in this, you know, like, is this you model, you know, what you'd like your partner to do in return? Just a question, maybe not. Right. But like, have you been threatened by That's their interesting. Like you're passively trying to model what you hope they, I know Kylie has expressed publicly, so I'm not selling her out here. She said <laughs> like, it's disappointing to her that women can hold friendships with men but in her experience, a lot of men have had a hard time holding friendship with her. And mm. so there's like a resentment that I can hold it without sexual desire. But like a, in her experience, a lot of men, when given the opportunity, violate the mm. relational boundaries. 
could be the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Like break the, the yeah. I mean, I think what you and I are getting at is like, there's something more that's happening here. You and I could spend a lot of time guessing whether there's been a violation, right. whether you'd like your partner you to trust men, all trust their wet yeah. friends. Um, Did but, a parent hook up with a friend and cheat on a parent? You right. Know. You know, so we could we could come up with a lot of ideas here. But but I guess what we're saying is there's something more. And can you identify that? Right. Can you come to find like what's the thing that's informing this? Right. And what do you believe happens if like when you do this? Is this a way of safeguarding something? Because if it is like that's a story that needs to be renegotiated because it's not working for you. Or you're saying I want to have my friends and I don't want to have to betray one or the other. And so if you keep operating in this way, you're constantly in a dynamic where there is betrayal, even though you're saying your partner's not asking. That's interesting. So the betrayal you're afraid of, you're living in because you're not acknowledging your own experience Yeah, and, and bridging whatever needs to be bridged and explored. That's right. Right. Having the conversations explicitly with a partner to be able to say like, you know, I don't know how to do this or a past partner of mine expected this of me, or I had a, a friendship with someone and it turned sexual. Or when I saw my parents you know, growing up, here's what happened. And it was devastating or, 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 right. Or I feel like, you know, a part, former partner of mine cheated on one of their best uh, on me with one of their best friends. And it's, it, it crushed me, right? Like we need to be able to have these conversations so that we're not living a small life like this person said, right? Your life is entitled to be robust, right? And you have to be able to discern who gets to be in this really sacred container, right? And maybe it's not like I cut everyone. Maybe there are certain people who don't get to be in the sacred container, but you are operating in a, like a all or nothing swing, right? And that's, that part won't work. So can we acknowledge when, when we've been like, keeping on friendships that are interested and we haven't differentiated the line. Do you know what I mean? Like, like where we actually have friendships that they do desire something and we're actually siloing them in a way and keeping them separate from our partner. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what you said about like being afraid to betray like the partner, but then in doing that, betraying the self mm-hmm. where how simple is it to create a really beautiful relationship to be able to say to one's partner, what makes you feel comfortable when I or you have a relationship with the mm-hmm. gender that we're both attracted to? You mm-hmm. know, like how, what would feel comfortable? What would be the boundaries around those relationships? How would you like to be included in that life? Blah, 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 blah. That is, then everyone can just have that conversation and then there's no guessing. And then maybe all these friendships that you've thrown away or given away or made small are actually like totally integrated. They have the ability to be integrated and bring more richness. I do think that when we say like, well, I don't want to introduce this person to my partner because they have different interests in different ways. I actually don't think you get to choose for your partner because in doing that, you start to silo, Mm -hmm. you know, your life. And when you silo, then you're almost like living in these little secret boxes. And when Mm -hmm. we do that, then of course, I'm sure there's an origin story to that too. Um, you ready for the next question? They're everywhere. I'm ready. I'm on five, right? Five. You're on five. I consistently choose jealous and controlling partners. Could this be due to fear of abandonment and a need to fix? I grew up in a household where love was given if you behave a certain way or achieve in school, sports, and career, and shamed otherwise. Mm. So. 
we touched on a, maybe we touched on a little bit of this in another uh, answer, but okay. So could this be a, a fear of abandonment and a need to fix? Like, okay, maybe it could be. Um, but what I actually hear is that you grew up with where love and approval happened through controlling conditions. Okay. Right. Love and approval came through achievement in school, achievement in sports, achievement in career and shamed, right? Like the worst of it all, right. It's like shamed when you were not performing in that way. Right. So that's like, you think about the associations that happen through those experiences, right? There's a lot that happens in that space when we have that experience. And then we go through life attaching that story, that meaning to what love is and is not. So, so is there a part that's seeking to see if you can change a partner or like you said, fix a partner into loving you without control or jealousy, right? So like, are you choosing consciously, unconsciously partners, right? Who are jealousy is control, right? There's, there's control in that. So jealousy and control and controlling um, individuals, because there's a hope that you can fix that control, like that you can change this outcome where you can get them to love you and choose you and want to be with you, regardless of whether or not you are achieving or yeah, like winning or, um, you know, doing well in something. Right. So like, yeah, I I get curious about that. Um, this is a, again, as you're probably getting the theme here, like my guess is that there's probably an origin story here that set you on this path, right? That set you on this, yeah, on this path of partnering with people who, you know, resemble the type of dynamic that you were used to or the type of dynamic that you saw, right? Maybe the control and jealousy was within a parental system, you know, a family unit in some ways, maybe you didn't experience it, but maybe you saw it happen between your parents or step-parents or whomever. And, you know, that's imprinted upon you in some way. And you're journeying on to like fix something about that or yeah, like change the way this person relates to you. Um, And so, you know, if that's the case, I think we need to journey back into the origin of that. And there needs to be healing and reconciliation around it. Because again, you can't be doing that work for somebody else almost, right? Like yeah. meaning if it's, if it's what you saw, like you don't need to keep choosing people who repeat that, right? To heal it for your mom, let's say, right? If that's what you experienced from you know, a family system, parents who, who treated you that way, right? Like we need to go back into the grief work around that, right? To like really feel into what that experience was like, ideally with, you know, a therapist or professional, somebody who can walk alongside of you in this, in this work, but to spend time, you know, in the experience of what that was, the grief around that, how that set you on, you know, a trajectory here, um, because otherwise you will keep choosing, right? Because you know, you're aware, I keep choosing these people, right? If you, if it was that easy, you would stop choosing jealous and controlling partners, right? So like you're setting out to do something, right? So instead of just being frustrated with ourselves, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep doing this? We need to journey back in to say like, okay, what is a more complex and in-depth, you know, perspective and story here that needs my attention, right? And so we know generally that we're going to find something that predates this moment, predates this relationship that needs us to slow down and be with it and feel it and grieve it and honor it 
so that we can start to change course, right? So that we can update our operating system, right? So that we can go down a different path and, you know, receive love without needing to fix it into not jealous, not controlling. What do you want to add? I mean, I totally agree. I think the, like the inherited part of looking at your family system, that love may be familiar based on that, like what you experienced with a parent. And then like, if you never saw a parent move away from that type of relational dynamic, or you never witnessed what it looks like to stand up to that or have boundaries to that, that it was just to acquiesce and surrender and to just sort of like tolerate and sort of like, um, I guess, acquiesce to it is the best way of saying it, that then that becomes familiar. Like you're just, you're just supposed to be in this. Um, and so like the compassionate part that I really think about is like, when someone goes, how could I let myself be in a relationship like this? Or how could I let myself have a partner like that? It's like, how could you not? Like mm-hmm. based on everything you learned, right? Th- like that's the path that gets you to that. Mm-hmm. And so I always think like, what an act of true courage and like true growth to be the first of in how many generations mm-hmm. to finally develop the skills to no longer operate in that familiar pattern. I mean, that is like incredible. Mm -hmm. So for this person asking this question, just to be curious about it and, and do it in a non-judgmental way and to like explore the grief of that and then to begin to change it. I mean, you know, someone's bringing up epigenetics. I see Rita. I mean, yeah, your health's going to shift your, your, your body, everything's going to shift with that. Um, yeah, it's, that's really a beautiful moment. So mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge anyone challenged, you know, struggling with moving out of any relational pattern. The pattern is there because it's familiar and what it's, it's what you learn. That's why it's so important to learn about it. And then what you can do to change it, you know, because as uh, I don't know who said it, your biography, though, is not your destiny, but your biography is your biology till you change it. Which yeah. is Bruce Lipton, I think. Bruce Lipton. So, yeah. All right. How are we doing, team? Some hands up. How are we? Well, give us a hands up if you're feeling okay, feeling good, learning something here. I think we are. I think we're getting some good stuff. Yay. Yay. I like it. Grieving. Right. right. Learning so much. Okay. Let's keep going, Mark. We've got, we're going to try to get some more questions. Okay. What do you do when you want to explain to a parent some internalized messages, more like how the pattern of interacting with them in the past influences how I show up in relationships today through the stories I tell myself before the conversation even begins, when the parent only wants to hear how it is my fault. They are able to hear that I take ownership for when I react to these assumptions, but they are unwilling to take responsibility or acknowledge their role in the dynamic. Mm. Listen, changing patterns with, with parents where all the patterns really have their origin mm-hmm. is one of the hardest things to do. Like you don't start boundaries with mom. Like, <laughs> like you start boundaries with like a friend where you're like, hey, I can't make it Saturday. Mm-hmm. Or like, hey, I'm busy tonight. Or hey, I don't have the capacity for that. Because then you start to actually, you know, I remember Hillary Jacobs Hendel who wrote the book, It's Not Always Depression. She said that like one of the first signs of successfully setting a boundary is actually having guilt. Um, but Mm -hmm. guilt normally learned in our family system and weaponized against us in order to create compliance and in order to deepen codependency. She said, like most of us under the energetic of guilt actually collapse. 
and then break the boundary and, and re-enter the dynamic. And she said, but you can actually learn to increase your capacity for guilt and, and that it doesn't actually cause you to, to, to collapse, but that you can observe it and hold it and alchemize it and actually start to feel uh, the guilt might be indicative of um, choosing yourself for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then you, the guilt is really that you have never chosen yourself, not that you're, you're collapsing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which is an interesting, like how the body yeah. starts to shift. Yeah. Um, that we thought was because of the other person we're letting down when really we're letting ourselves down and the guilt is informing us. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting about this is like, so with my mom, she could be watching this and we're all good. Right, mom? Is she, <laughs> whenever we would get in a fight, she would either hang up the phone or leave the room and like shut down her favorite thing, which I'm sure everyone can relate to this. Whatever your parent does that enrages you the most, her favorite thing was to get the last word and then hang up the phone. So then I was left without any dialogue. I left felt I felt abandoned. I felt like I had to then soothe myself when really as my mom, it was her job. You know, like I was not like it was her job to be attuned to me. It was her job to do that. Um, and so a lot of my relational healing when I was doing it within intimate relationship, eventually you sort of have to bring it back to your origin because you can no longer operate in the old system with the old ways because you're a new person. And so, you know, that saying how you do one thing is how you do everything. You really start to discover that like what you discover in your origin story, which Deanna is a master at teaching is then you like bring this authentic real version, the ABCZ version of you, you bring it to your relationships and you start to bring it to your work and your body and food and health. And, and then you bring it to mom. And I think one thing that I noticed is it didn't happen overnight. It was actually me learning how my role in the discussions that I had with her. And I see this person says, they're great when I take responsibility, right. um, but not great when I, you know, bring responsibility to them. Um, and so you'll probably have better language than me with this B, but you know, with my mom, I would say, Hey, like when you leave the room, when we're in a dialogue, it really hurts me. And, you know, like when we would disagree, she would get really elevated and dysregulated, which would cause me to get dysregulated. Mm -hmm. But as I became more of an adult and more in my body, I was able to separate what was mine from what was hers. And I would say to her, like, when we disagree, it feels like, yeah, she would get defensive. She's a defensive master previously. I would say to her, like, I still love you, even though we disagree. Like, love has not gone anywhere. It's actually, it's here at the core and nothing changes. But I don't agree with you. And slowly over time, by modeling responsibility that I took for myself, but also not needing her to take responsibility for herself, but like presenting what was hers versus what was mine, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to hear what language you use. I got a success story though. My mom and I now can have dialogues and disagree and there's no running away. There's no abandonment. There's mm-hmm. presence. There does get to be passion. Um, <laughs> Always. Love. Yeah, exactly. Mama grows. That's good. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh. I always say like, you can't stop trying to get someone to understand who's committed to not understanding you. 
And I yeah. think that there is a spectrum and range here of some people who maybe just need us to use different language with them so that they open themselves up. And then there's those people who are just committed to not understanding and not being a participant because if they feel like they participated in something that was hurtful or harmful, it is too flooding to their system, right? The wires cross, they collapse. And so it can't be about them. And so when that's the case, I want to speak to that because you spoke, you spoke to a nice ending. So I'll speak maybe a little bit more on the other side of the spectrum that, you know, I, I often say Can that. Can you speak to something too? What's that? I was going to say, can you speak also to how parents will often say, like, I did the best I can, mm. or like, it's, you know, blah, 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 where they're dismissing, because I feel like that's often what occurs is the parent is like, oh, yeah. you're so ungrateful, or do you know how hard it was? Or like, as that sort of skirts the ownership and accountability and responsibility, right? And that's what I said, remember, self love and other love too, right, is grace and compassion and understanding, and also accountability, responsibility and ownership, right? And so, yes, let's come back around to that. But the, the, the piece I want to say is like, sometimes, if a person is really committed to not understanding you, i.e. not changing, right, then famously, I've said this many, many times, right, we have to change the way we relate to someone not changing. So important, right? So this question is like, what do I, what do I do? Or change the way we relate to someone not changing? Yes. As opposed to like, Staying in the pattern of wanting them to change. Yeah. You change the way you relate to not changing. That's the pattern. So what I was going to say is like, how do I get them to hear that it's not my fault? My answer is you don't. You don't. That's the break in the pattern. Stop. Stop. Period. You don't. And that's where the grief is. Holy heck, right? Like that's where the grief is. Now, some of you might have uh, people like what Mark was saying before with his mom, where there is space to have conversation and, and you might be able to communicate differently and certain things might be able to get through. But many of us do not have that, right? That's that's not always been my case, right? I, I have this with my mom sometimes where it's like, I really have to relate the way that uh, re- change the way I relate to her not changing, right? That her seeing something is is too confronting, right? I think too shame-filling for her that she can't go there. And so what I have to do in these moments, because it's very easy to go down this path where I'm like trying to prove something or prove my point or be like, see, you know, and I'm not doing it in a hurtful, harmful way. But the moment that the defensiveness and the reactivity or whatever it is that shows up, oh, you better believe my little girl gets activated, Right. And that's where, you know, she might want to come out and continue to try to prove, right. If I say it this way, but if only I explain it that way, or what about if I do backflips and somersaults, then won't you see me? Or how about this? How about that? How about this? How about that? And in that moment, that moment, instead of trying to understand where they're coming from, instead of trying to adapt your language to fit theirs, you go off with your inner child somewhere else and you take care of her period, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Just stop, full stop. Go off with her. I'm talking about me, whatever pronoun, right? Go off with her, right? Spend time there. Witness yourself. Stop trying to get somebody else to witness you who's committed to not witnessing you. Go off and witness yourself and then come back in and talk about the weather. (laughs) Ultimately, what you're constantly seeking from them, you've ultimately been seeking from you. And 
if you can give it to you, then you are an adult now and you're no longer a child seeking it from a parent or a partner or whatever and it is. The beauty is, is like those who can give it to like, I can't tell you the, the like transformation that happened when, when Connor witnessed something for me that a parent wasn't able to profound, beautiful, life changing, truly, right? Like there's nothing wrong. In fact, like the witnessing, being witnessed by another is like, woof on another level that, and it doesn't even have to be partners or best friends. Like this happens at retreats that we do with strangers where it's like, bam, boom, there it is. Like, that's all I need. Right. So like, What I would honestly say here, if you're on the spectrum, that's a little bit closer to a person who's unwilling is that, how do you, how do you get them to hear that? It's not just your fault. You don't, you don't. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of grief in that space, but you don't. And you hold that hand and you take yourself and you witness and you acknowledge, and that's where you begin. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.